0: We, we are living in crazy times right now as a society, aren't we? I talked about this a while ago. Just all the, the technological advancements that we have. I mean, think about just the computing power in this tablet. I, I read that, that the average scientific calculator has more computing power than, than NASA had when they put a man on the moon. That's amazing to me. You know, think of all the, the, the medical advancements, Self-driving cars. That's like the Jetsons. You know, that's, that's crazy. I mean, and we get so used to this stuff, but think about you can order something online and two hours later, somebody's at your door giving it to you. That's amazing. That's better than the self-driving cars to me. You know, we're, we're living in crazy times and we're living in crazy times spiritually as well. Globally, revivals are taking place. I read the other day that the church in Iran was the fastest growing church in the world. That revival is spreading through, and, and, and the Lord's doing amazing things. People are having visions, and just, just this crazy stuff going on. Throughout Asia, all this amazing revival is happening. <clears throat> and here at home, amazing things are happening as well, but, but sort of amazing in a, in a different way. Right? I mean, our culture and our society here is moving away from godly principles as fast as these other cultures are moving towards it. It seems like we're, we're moving away from godly living at, at breakneck speed. The issues that we are debating today in the public forums, they were unthinkable 20 years ago. You know, the, 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 the gender issues and some of this kind of stuff. And, and, and as the church... Stands up against the, this tide. We are increasingly becoming under attack. You know, I, I tend to stay away from politics, particularly preaching. But I saw this week that a certain presidential candidate was advocating that churches lose their nonprofit status if they don't embrace his idea of marriage and sexuality and gender. The world is growing increasingly hostile towards the people of God. And it seems to me as though the church today, the church in the West, is stuck in a peacetime mentality when we're in a time of war. We are in a battle for the souls of lost men. And this battle, it's coming to us, and we need to prepare ourselves. And listen, I'm not talking about running out and buying 12 AR-15s and 30,000 rounds of 556 and seven years of food. Now, I'm not against that either. That's just not what I'm talking about. We need to prepare ourselves spiritually for this battle that's forming we as a culture have been living in a historically unprecedented long period of of religious freedom. And just because we've had it for so long and we have it today does not mean that we're going to continue to have it. And I don't want to sound like a catastrophist, but man, look at the writing on the wall. Look at the stuff going on around us. Changes are coming and I believe that we as the church need to be ready spiritually. We need to prepare ourselves. And I think that means that we need to become a people of prayer. And we need to become a people of the word. Because if scripture is banned in our country like it has been in so many other countries around the world, we have to have it hidden away in our hearts. We need to be a people who continually seek the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't anything to do with my lesson today at all, actually. Just kind of something the Lord laid on my heart. <clears throat> We're going to pick up the text this morning in verse 15, John chapter 14, verse 15. And we left off there last week and we looked a little bit at this verse, but I want to pick it up there and just talk a little bit more about that and move on all the way through verse 18. All the way. I guess that's only four verses, so that's not very far. Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am a um, really good basketball player. Not to brag. Why are you laughing? I can do 360 slam dunks. I can hit threes from anywhere on the court. I have an almost 34-inch vertical leap. Back in the early 2000s, I was drafted by the Lakers. But listen, I decided not to go because I, I just didn't like Kobe's attitude back then. You know, he it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And you might say, wow, that sounds good. Let's go play some basketball. You get me on the court, you find out that I can't even dribble. I can't shoot. I don't even know the rules, to tell you the truth, concerning basketball. I've got like a six-inch vertical leap. You know that sort of stereotype about white men can't jump? <clears throat> it's my fault, just to be clear. And so when we get out there, you're going to say, wow, Pastor Joel, you're a big, fat liar. You can't play at all. Your actions don't line up at all with what you said. And that's sort of the idea here. Jesus says, listen, anyone can say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. But he says, if you guys really love me, if you're really devoted to me, if you're really a discipler, then you'll do the things that I tell you to do. You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. Your your words and your actions will be in agreement. (coughs) And to be clear, and we touched on this last week, following Jesus' commands does not make you a Christian. Putting your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ Putting your hope in the shed blood of Christ, believing in, in the redemptive work at Calvary, that's what makes you a Christian. Keeping the commandments is merely evidence of that salvation. It's merely evidence of the relationship that you have with the Lord. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does Paul tell us here in these first three verses? We hear the first two verses quoted all the time, don't we? You're saved by grace through faith is a gift of God, not of works. And we understand that. But note what he says in verse 10. He says that we are saved for good works. (coughs) I like how the King James translates it. It says that we are saved. Anybody have a King James here? What's it say there? He didn't even turn to it. I see how it is. We are saved unto good works, it says. And I like that idea. We're not saved... By obeying Jesus' commands, we're saved so that we can follow his commands. Before we knew Christ, we didn't even have the ability to keep his commands. Now, if you have no desire to walk with Jesus, if you have no desire to be more like him, if you have no desire to abandon your sins, if you have no desire to do the things that he wants you to do, you need to take a look at your life. We need to take a look at our lives and see if we even have a relationship with him at all. If that's our heart, we need to ask ourselves if we even know the Lord. Jesus says, if we love him, we keep his commands. And the implication is, That if we don't keep his commands, we don't really love him. (coughs) Well, you might think, well, gosh, I I broke a command at last night. Does that mean that I don't love him? Does that mean that I'm not saved? Does that mean that I don't know him? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this. What's our our lifestyle? How How do we live? What's the general direction of our life? What's the trajectory of our life? Are we, are, are we pointed towards godliness and, and holiness and sanctification? Are we moving away from our sins and towards him? Are, are our lives geared towards obedience to the father? Are we, are we striving for godliness and personal holiness in our lives? The prophet Samuel writes in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Samuel says this. He says, look, guys you guys are offering up all these sacrifices, all these burnt offerings, atoning for your sins. And he says, that's great now. That's great that you're offering sacrifices for your sins. But why not just obey the Lord instead? Instead of atoning for your sins, why not just be obedient to the Lord in the first place? That's what the Lord wants, Samuel says, just simple obedience. Again, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So we're getting into a topic here as we move into verse 16 that's to a degree shrouded in mystery, surrounded by controversy as we're we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I think that the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood and misrepresented and misused and neglected throughout church history. And so I want to see if we can maybe bring a little bit of clarity to the topic of the Holy Spirit. And we're certainly not going to cover everything in regards to the Holy Spirit because we don't have 29 hours. You know, we don't have time for that. But we're going to look at some of the basics concerning the Holy Spirit over the next couple weeks. And whenever we talk about this, whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, someone's gonna disagree with me. Somebody's gonna be offended. And you know, I love you all. I don't care, disagree. I'm gonna tell you what I believe the scripture teaches concerning the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, okay, guys, walk with me, obey me, love me. And he says, when I'm gone, I'm going to send you another helper. Some of your translations say a comforter or an advocate. And most of you guys know this. The Greek word there is paracletes. And that word translates a helper or a comforter or an advocate. It's used differently throughout the Bible. And I'm not going to touch much this morning on him being our comforter. We'll look a little bit at that in the coming weeks. I want to look at this idea of him being our helper. You know, and not in the sense of, you know, he does things that we don't want him to do. I'm not saying that he's our our assistant. Holy Spirit, give me some coffee and pick up my dry cleaning. That's not what we're talking about. David writes this, Psalm 46, verse 1. He says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. I love that verse, don't you? God as our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What does he mean there when he says he's a very present help? It means that he's always in our midst. He's always ready for us when we need him. And a lot of people, you read that and you say, well, cool. God is our very present help, but that's that's not the Holy Spirit. What are you you trying to say? And maybe some of you guys are new believers. Maybe you don't fully understand this. You know, the Holy Spirit is God. And I'm not going to go into a big lesson on on the the triune nature of God this morning. We're not going to go in depth into the Trinity, except to say this. God is one God who exists in three persons the father the son and the holy spirit and you know most people they understand that the father is God they can accept that the son is God but we need to understand that the holy spirit is God as well it's not like star wars it's some vague force out there, you know, and there's metachlorians floating around and this. That's not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit isn't some, I think somebody got the Metaclorian thing. Thank you. She's laughing. Everybody else is like, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? So I appreciate you this morning. He's not just a, a, a fuzzy feeling. He's not a strange power or force that makes people do weird things. The Holy Spirit is God with a personality. He's a divine member of the Trinity. Again, he's not an it, not a force. But he has a distinct personality. And Jesus says he's our advocate. He goes before us. He hears our prayers and he takes them to the Father on our behalf even when we don't even know what to pray or how to pray, when we can just sob and groan. Paul says this in Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches hearts, and he knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And a few verses before that, he talks about the believers, we're groaning in our spirits and the Holy Spirit, he takes that and he brings it before the father and he interprets it for us as you will. <clears throat> he's, he's our helper, he's our comforter, he's our advocate. And he says in verse 17, even the spirit of truth Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you, or he, sorry, he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit leads us in all truth. And a lot of you guys are already familiar with this topic. You understand the the ministries of the Holy Spirit. There's three primary ministries or functions of the Holy Spirit. And there's three Greek suppositions that help us understand that. Para, in, and epi. And we've talked about this before. Para, as in paracletes, right? It means alongside. A paramedic or a paralegal, right? They're sort of working alongside the doctor, doing the prep work, or alongside the lawyer, helping him out. The Holy Spirit is para. He's alongside everyone and all of creation. Here in verse 17, Jesus says, He is with the disciples, but soon he will be in them. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is with everyone, trying to lead them to Christ, wooing people to Jesus. And it's been described like this. You know, there's radio stations all over the place, right? There's radio waves floating around us all over. You know, 102.5 just shot past my head this way, and 99.9 this way, and 103.5, you know. But unless we have a radio and tune in, it doesn't mean anything to us. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is at work all around us but most people don't realize it because they're not tuned in. They're not listening to the Spirit. Jesus here in verse 17 says, the Spirit is leading in all truth. The problem is that most people aren't following the leading of the Spirit. They aren't looking. They don't recognize Him. So the first ministry of the Holy Spirit is with. Right? He's in the world with everybody, uh, leading people unto Christ. The second one is in. In Greek, it's E-N. And it sounds like the English word in, and that's exactly what it means. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is with you, and soon he will be in you. When we come to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God moves into us. He takes up permanent residence in our hearts. At the moment when we make that confession of faith, when we're born again, Scripture says that we're born of the Spirit. Right? The Spirit comes into us, and He begins to teach us. He begins to guide us. He, he indwells us. Remember that great theological uh, movie, Pinocchio? Remember Pinocchio had that little sidekick. You remember his name? Jiminy Cricket. Right? And Jiminy Cricket sort of acted as his, as his conscience, didn't he? Jiminy Cricket was there and he was <coughs> encouraging him to do the right things, encouraging Pinocchio not to do the wrong things. So, Jiminy Cricket's sort of a, a type of the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> right? And he, um, that's how the Holy Spirit works in the life of believers, leading us, directing us. Have you seen the old cartoons, right, where somebody's trying to decide what to do and there's a little devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder trying to persuade him one direction or the other? Again, that's sort of how the Holy Spirit works. Encouraging us to do the right thing, steering us away from wrong decisions, convicting us of sin, teaching us and instructing us. So Holy Spirit is with us, He's in us, and the third one is epi, E-P-I. And that Greek word, it means to come upon, to empower, to fill. And this is where this is where things can start to get weird, where people start to disagree over things. Nearly everyone in the church agrees on the first two things. The Holy Spirit is with us, he's alongside of us, and then he comes into believers. But this one causes a degree of disagreement. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to have the Spirit come upon you? So right here I want to stop, and I want to back up and explain something for just a second. Theologically speaking, there are two groups concerning the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are cessationists, not to be confused with secessionists, right? not who want to leave the, the north, Cessationists. Thank you, Sam. I got a chuckle there. (laughs) Right? And there's cessationists and there are those who believe in what's called the perpetuity of the gifts. And just to explain that, cessationists, right? The word cessation means to cease, to stop. And perpetuity, it means ongoing, right? It's the same root word as perpetual. Some believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They're no longer active. They're no longer alive. They're not for today. The gifts of, of healing and prophecy, words of knowledge, tongues, these things, they were signs gifts given to the early church to prove that they were acting on God's behalf. But they believed that once Scripture was canonized, we no longer lead, needed those sign gifts, so the gifts ceased. Cessationists. There are those who believe that the gifts are still active and legitimate and are available to all believers today. The Greek word for gift is charis. That's where we get the Greek word charismatic, right? If someone is a, is a, is a charismatic leader, Right? we say they 're very gifted in theological terms, charismatic means that they believe that the gifts of the spirit are still in use today, that they 're still available to the church today. They believe in what we said we call the the perpetuity of the gifts, the ongoing nature of the gifts of the spirit. so as a church as a movement of churches. As Calvary chapels, are we cessationists or are we charismatics? That's a good question. Look at most charismatic churches today. And and there's a lot of craziness. It's all about the Holy Spirit and receiving your touch from the Holy Spirit. And a lot of these churches, if, if, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even saved. And you see, you know, in the past we saw this being drunk in the Spirit and laughing in the Spirit and, and barking in the Spirit and all this slaying in the Spirit and gold dust sprinkling down from heaven and angels' feathers and all this stuff. That's weird. Go, go sell your crazy somewhere else. Well, we don't ever see anything like this in Scriptures. Nowhere, ever. And, and here's a good rule of thumb. If Jesus didn't do it, the Holy Spirit's probably not going to do it either. And we model our churches after the New Testament church. And so if we don't see Jesus doing it, if we don't see it happening with the apostles, we don't do it either. Does that mean that we're cessationists? Certainly not. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are active and available, and present for all believers today? Well, you just said, well, listen, technically, we're charismatic in our theology. We believe in the gifts. We believe in tongues. We believe in healing. We believe in prophecy. That doesn't mean that we believe in all the crazy weirdness that sweeps through the church from time to time while we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and that they're active and alive, Paul says that church services should be orderly with the teaching of the Word, not filled with distractions. The Holy Spirit is not a circus act. The Holy Spirit never made people do crazy things, dancing out of control, flopping around, falling down. <clears throat> Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14.33, And I like how the NLT translates it here. He says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. And, you know, as I read through scripture, we did see slaying in the spirit once, in Acts, Ananias, and Sapphira. But they didn't get back up, right? Right? So we talk about this epi, this empowering, this filling of the Holy Spirit. And what I believe that is, is this. The Holy Spirit comes upon us at certain points and he gives us specific supernatural abilities for a time, perhaps the gift of healing or the gift of knowledge, knowing what to say, giving amazing advice. You'll tell somebody something and you think, wow, where did that come from? I'm, I'm just not that smart. right? That's kind of what we're talking about. He comes upon us and empowers us. So he's with us, he's in us, and he's upon us. Listen, because the Holy Spirit is so abused in the church, because he's so misrepresented in the church... Like Christians, a lot of people tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And they don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Just the mention of the Holy Spirit and people start to get squirmy and start looking for the exits. You know, we talk about in the name of the Father and the Son. And <laughs> and Listen. It's just as wrong to to neglect the Holy Spirit as it is to abuse and misrepresent him. The Holy Spirit is a gift for believers. It's a great blessing for us. It's a wonderful thing to experience his, his power and his presence. Now listen, as a Christian, how many of you guys would like to see Jesus? And I don't mean everybody's raising their hands. Your your church, geez, yeah. I, I don't mean when you die. I mean after church today. Right? How many of you guys would like to go out to lunch with Jesus in the flesh? Right? Most everybody would say yes. Even even non believers would like to do that. And that'd be great. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? To be able to sit down with Jesus and ask him a few questions. Jesus, creation. What's up with rats and cockroaches? Lord, can, can we lose our salvation or not? Can you make a rock so big you can't move it? Jesus said, Adam, have a belly button. Well, he could finally put to rest all those debates. Maybe you could have a couple loaves and a few small fish. Little joke. Um, <laughs> turn your glass of water into wine. It'd be cool. It'd be exciting. But listen to what Jesus says in John sixteen five. But now... I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going but because I have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, look what he says in verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, look, I'm leaving. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to the Father. But don't don't stress. Don't grieve. It's actually better for you that I'm leaving, Jesus says. How could could anything be better? I mean, this is Jesus. This is Jesus who, who, who took care of their every needs. This is Jesus who calmed the storm. This is Jesus who who fed them. This is Jesus who healed. He was everything to them. How can it be better for them that Jesus leave? Nonetheless, Jesus says it. He says, it's better that I'm leaving because when I leave, I'm going to send the advocate, the Pericletes. He isn't helping until after I'm gone. When I go away, I'm going to send him to you. Jesus, in his own words, tells us to have the Holy Spirit is better than his physical earthly presence. How is it better? I can think of a couple of reasons why the presence of the Holy Spirit would be better than the physical presence of Jesus. First, right when Jesus was with the disciples, right he was with them, he was para. He was alongside them, but outside them. But when we give our lives to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into us. He indwells us. We're, we're, we're possessed, but in a, in a good way. Right? Not your head spinning around way. So that's one way it was better. That he's not with us, but he's in us. We get to experience God inside of us. Second, if Peter and Jesus we were up on a mountaintop or they're out walking on water together and I wanted to ask Jesus something. I had to wait until they got back, right? You ever wish there were two of you? I get pretty busy sometimes. I wish there was one of me that could study all day, one of me that could work out all day, one of me that could fish all day, one of me that could take naps all day, another could be a full-time discipler. I wish there was more because I only have so much time. And Jesus was the same way while on earth. He was limited by time and space. He could only be in one place at a time. He could only minister to one person or one group of people at a time. Jesus couldn't minister in Jerusalem and Capernaum at the same time. He had to walk from place to place to minister. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time, inside of every single believer at every moment. As David said, he's an ever-present help in time of need. We don't have to take a number like the DMV and wait for Jesus. Every single Christian has access to the Holy Spirit at any moment, right, if we're confused. Holy Spirit will lead us. We don't know what to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 12, it says the Spirit will give us the words to speak. He'll bring conviction of sin. He'll teach us how to worship. He'll enable us to do supernatural ministry. Note something here in verse 17. Again, he says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. This gift, this paracletes, this Holy Spirit, he's only available to us. He's only available to believers, to disciples. He's not available, Jesus says, to the world at large. The world at large doesn't have this access to the Holy Spirit. And just to be clear, the Holy Spirit is available to all in so much as that Jesus Christ is available to everyone. If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit sort of comes in the package, right? It's a package deal. But you can't experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit apart from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We're gonna close with this verse. Jesus says, look, I'm not just up and leaving you guys. I'm not going to abandon you. The King James Version says, I will not leave you comfortless. Remember the context, he's sending the comforter. He says, I will not abandon you. I will not leave you like orphans. You know, I think that a lot of people in life have been abandoned. Abandoned by friends maybe. Abandoned by family, abandoned by parents, abandoned by spouses. And a lot of people live in this constant fear of abandonment, waiting for relationships to fall apart. And because we've experienced that so much in life, we sort of transfer that to the Lord. And we're waiting for our relationship with the Lord to sort of crumble and fall apart as well. And Jesus says, look, guys, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going away. But you will experience my presence again through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit are God's children. He says, look, we're not slaves anymore. We've received the spirit of adoption through the Holy Spirit, we've been adopted into the family of God. We've been made children of God. And I've shared this before, but under Roman law, that was a permanent thing. If I had a biological son and he upset me and I just didn't like him anymore, whatever, I could, I could disown him. I could go to the court, I could sign a document, and he's no longer my son. But if I adopted a child under Roman law, that was a permanent status. You could not, no, you, you couldn't disown an adopted child. A- a- and that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says he isn't going to abandon us. He isn't going to leave us comfortless. He isn't going to leave us as orphans. To confirm that, he says, his spirit has joined with our spirit. His spirit gives witness. His spirit has taken up residence in our hearts and in our lives leading us, guiding us, directing us, encouraging us, convicting us of sin. And we read that, and that's cool. But that loses some of the significance in our culture. We miss some of what Jesus was telling them. Under Roman law, orphans basically had no rights. If your family died and you were a child, you were pretty much hopeless. Males, boys typically were either sold into slavery, or sent to gladiator school. <clears throat> a young woman who became an orphan, she was either going to be a slave or a prostitute. A family in Roman times, particularly, maybe, maybe not in Israel, but in the world at large in those days, a family was your source of, of protection from the world. A family was your provision. They took care of your needs. A family was your your place of comfort. And if you had no family, you were vulnerable. You're unable to take care of yourself. And so when Jesus says, look, fellas, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, he was speaking a very clear message to their hearts. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit will take care of you. The Holy Spirit will meet your needs. The Holy Spirit will be your protector and your provider. He'll be your comforter. He'll be your advocate. He says, you've been adopted into the family of God and it's a permanent status. And I'll share something with you. you know this is, this is why I am such an advocate for adoption. Why I love adoption so much. And as you know, we've adopted children. And, and and it met a need for us because we wanted kids. And sure, it's one of the Lord's commands, right? James talks about that. He says that, that that pure religion, true worship, is to take care of widows and orphans. And here's why. Here's why God's heart is for adoption. It reflects the heart of God for us. It's a picture of what the Lord has done in our lives and what he wants to do in the lives of the world at large. He's received us as hopeless, hopeless, powerless, lost orphans. And he's received us into his family and he's called us his children and he's given us an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. And that's a beautiful thing to me. That's that's the heart of God. That's a reflection of his nature towards us. He wants to receive us into his family. So, as we close, just a little review. I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, that he's in the world Right? That he's, that he's with us, alongside of everyone, trying to lead the world to Christ. At conversion, he comes inside of us, he indwells us, he takes up residence in our hearts, leading us, convicting us, teaching us, bringing us comfort in hard times. And on certain occasions, he comes upon us in a special way, empowering us for ministry. Every time we see this in scripture, this coming upon, it's, sort of, I've heard people describe it as, as supernaturally natural. And I like that description, it's supernaturally natural. That's to say that it isn't, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it isn't a freak show. It isn't flashy. It isn't crazy. It isn't drawing attention to ourselves and making spectacles. It's amazing and it's powerful and it's wonderful, but it's done in a calm, natural way. And I believe that the scripture teaches that the gifts of the spirit, they should be active and present in the lives of believers today. That The gifts of the spirit are ongoing, but they need to be done in an orderly fashion because God is a God of order, not of disorder. And we're gonna close here this morning. And as we close, as Matt and Leisha come back up, I just want to invite you guys, if anybody needs prayer this morning, if anybody feels like they need a just a, a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit, a, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I let myself or one of the elders pray with you. We'll be available on the side for the first couple songs. And listen, likewise, if you've never Given your heart to the Lord and you feel that weight of the Holy Spirit on you right now, convicting you of your sins. If he's not in you yet, but he's beside you, leading you to Christ, don't resist that leading. Surrender. Call on his name. Repent of your sins and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for for manifesting your son into creation, Lord. We're so thankful for the work that he did for us on our behalf at the cross. And Lord, we we also thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the one who is a very present help in time of need, Lord. And we pray that you would help each one of us to learn to rely more fully on your Holy Spirit, to be led by him, Allow us just to let the Holy Spirit operate freely in our lives, Lord Jesus. We ask that in your name. Amen.